In this audio version of Foresight's Biotech and Health Extension Seminars, Mark Hamelain shares an actionable roadmap for an unlimited healthy lifespan divided into four promising areas for progress and a few updates on the Longevity Biotech Fellowship. You can apply to join the seminars live on foresight.org. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Foresight's Biotech and Health Extension Group, sponsored by 100 Plus Capital. Really excited to have Mark Hamelain here today we've been in contact with quite a bit over the past uh, few months and uh, over the past year, really together with Nathan, uh, you've really built up an entire force field of longevity community over at the Long Bio Fellowship. And today you're here to discuss how we can actually potentially construct finally a coherent executive plan to achieve unlimited healthy lifespan. This is something that I think is close to heart for both of uh, our orgs and uh, individual constituents. We're currently like brainstorming on what we can do in a more collective way for that next year. But for now, please take the way and explain us a little bit more about what you guys are up to, how we can get involved. And then I'll share a little bit more about uh, what other people can potentially help to contribute. And I'll be in the chat monitoring uh, questions. I'm going to share a lot more info about you in the chat. But for now, uh, welcome. Really, really excited to have you here. Uh, Take it away. All right. Thanks a lot, Allison. It's awesome working with Foresight, as it's obviously a ton of overlap between your community and ours. And we have basically this shared goal of conquering this problem of death and aging. And so, yeah, the more we can collaborate, the better. And so let me get started on my presentation. So the LDF Roadmap to a Post-Aging Future, very much a work in progress. I think a plan of this nature can never be uh, complete. but I guess I'll just show you the agenda and explain why we're even trying to do this. I'm just going to skip that. The LBF vision. A future where healthy lifespan of unlimited length is available to all. That's the vision. And then the mission is to scalably deploy capital and people to enable that mission. There's a bit of a problem. There's not really a plan. There are quite a few roadmaps and theories, but... I just uh, read Elon Musk's biography recently, and it's a really nice sort of anecdote about how in 2001, he went to the NASA's website uh, because he was like, well, what's the plan to get to Mars? Uh, there was no plan. <laughs> so he decided to, to uh, do it himself. Uh, similarly, if you were to look at the uh, National Institute of Aging's website uh, for a plan to uh, do something about aging, uh, there is also no plan. I think we've all known this for a while, and a lot of us have taken it on ourselves to start projects. But in the LBF, we're in the unique situation of onboarding new people to the industry all the time. And of course, like one of the first things people want to know is what's the plan? And if there is no credible plan and everybody's saying different things, uh, it's pretty confusing for new people. I had a couple sort of new LDF members go to some of the big conferences recently, and they commented on the fact that although people were making good cases for their particular piece of research they were focused on, no coherent overall vision was presented. Do we need a plan? It's a lot of work to make a plan. Maybe we don't need one. But we suspect that without a concrete plan, there's probably going to be a lot of wasted time and effort. And we also, from experience, know that the lack of a credible plan actually makes it difficult to attract talent. So yeah, timelines, budgets, a compelling 
space for founders to enter and operate in, talent to staff those projects. But uh, every group for themselves mentality happens when there's no plan. Thinking of it more as a zero-sum game versus a positive-sum game. And then a lot of the important advances actually happen serendipitously versus just some kind of really grinding through, iterating, improving on a plan. It's a different way of doing things. We want newcomers to feel empowered to contribute. And we're not talking about centralized organization here. We're just talking about some kind of coherent vision that is developed in conversation between like us and Foresight and the other organizations. And we're presenting our best synthesis of that. So the process we went through, there are a lot of existing roadmaps out there and pretty much everybody in the field has an internal model in their head for what they think the plan. It's often not fully elucidated and a lot of things are sometimes left unsaid. And there's also assumptions behind different people's preferred strategies. So what we wanted to do was just talk to a lot of experts, which we've been doing over the course of a year and extra intensely in the last few weeks to categorize what are all the different strategies that people have. Look for their hidden assumptions, like what is the underlying assumption that or like thing that needs to work in order for their strategy to achieve our goals or contribute to our goals. And we want to question every requirement. If the plan is too big, if it just includes everything that everybody has ever proposed, we probably can't finish it on any reasonable time frame. So delete everything that can be deleted and then build a scenario planning, scenario planning mindset where you have metrics of success, key results that would, if you got that result, it would change how you would distribute effort on the plan. We want to map that out, make it clear to people, especially people that are entering the field and then identify what are like the big projects that if you created them, or supported them more if they already exist, could be like the, the longevity SpaceX's. Um, so categories, I got to explain how we came up with these categories in a second, but there, there's basically five. There's bioengineering and anyone working in gene therapy, CRISPR, engineered cells. You're, you're basically talking about the ability to have engineering control over biology. It's like you're in other industries, like you build a bridge and you would actually have a pretty good idea if the bridge is going to work before you built it. Unfortunately, that's not yet the case in biology. So building bioengineering tool sets that allow us to treat um, aging as an engineering discipline. And we've made a lot of progress on that, certainly in microorganisms, not yet for a, an issue as complex of aging, still pretty primitive. Then another category, replacement, you guys have probably mostly familiar with Jean Hebert's work since he's given, I think, more than one talk for Foresight and attended the, salon, uh, the workshops. Um, and then pharmacology, I think everyone knows what that is, and cryostasis as well. Uh, and the fifth category is actually uh, acceleration, which I think is probably on a lot of people's minds right now with the way AI has been going and Certainly the news has been exciting. But this is actually a little graphic on the side that was from a pitch that I used to raise money for Synthago almost 10 years ago, slightly modified, but it's just to illustrate the idea that new tools can change the way, uh, change the rate of progress and computation. You can see the way it was done in 1913 or 1923 versus now. Biology labs, not all of them. I, and this is, I don't want to be like too hard on biologists, but some of them look similar. And I think it illustrates the need for maybe more powerful ways of doing things. And, 
And it's obviously there's a historical rationale for this, like the invention of PCR, CRISPR, single cell RNA-seq. Like once you have new tools, it just opens up new possibilities. So why did, how did we come up with these categories? It's a little grid here. So there's, you have to either understand aging or bypass the aging complexity. And so if you're going to try to engineer aging away, obviously you need to understand it. You're going to have a model of it. Pharmacology also relies on a level of understanding, similar, similar on the understanding side, but different approach basically. Um, and then bypassing aging replacement. Obviously, the idea there is that young parts are by definition young. You replace an old part with the young part. You have made that part of your body younger. Pretty straightforward. And then cryostasis also bypasses the complexity of aging. We've been talking to a lot of people here about like how, what is, what can we expect uh, to get out of these and how much is it going to cost and how long it's, is it going to take? And these are very napkin math things, but people often like that you start to see like a lot of darts thrown and they center around a certain area. So very, yeah, we want to justify these numbers in much more detail in the next iteration of this plan. But just based on our conversations, these are like the sort of rough things. So people think about the optimistic case for bioengineering achieving its goals is, yeah, 400% of the Apollo program versus replacement. Like people have actually proposed full end-to-end roadmaps all the way to completing replacement, doing body and gradual brain for 1% of the Apollo project. So the end... Those are the only two sort of areas where people really claim a full solution. I don't think uh, I've yet come across somebody who claims that pharmacology is a full solution to aging. Uh, Typically, people think the best case scenario is 10 to 20 additional years of shifting that mortality curve. And then cryostasis, another area where you could put people on indefinite pause and the estimates of there are roadmaps that have been built. And the estimates are on the order of 0.5% of over 10 years. And so I think the interesting thing here from this diagram is just to show that replacement and cryostasis, people have proposed roadmaps that are pretty inexpensive compared to the bioengineering and pharmacology, where I say most of the effort is currently being deployed. And so it's almost like you could fund replacement and cryostasis as like a rounding era on pharma and biotech. So why then are they not very well funded? Another way of looking at this is there's different strategies, right? And I just mentioned a few of them. And for any given strategy, it probably has intrinsic limitations as to what it can achieve. And so just a Venn diagram here. You might want to consider this Venn diagram when you decide where to put your effort. If there's a drugs can only get you so much and you have other ideas about things that could get you more. And this comes back to the tool development idea about how a lot of the time we make progress because we have no tools. And if you're looking at the tools we have and we're like, these tools are clearly not up to the job, it definitely seems like you should probably put a lot of effort onto developing new tools. I'm going to skip forward because that actually just brings me up to the longevity escape velocity. This is a concept is thrown around a lot in our circles. And I think one of the problems with it is sometimes maybe it's used as an excuse to focus on the low-hanging fruit because that's the first step, right? 
But if there's not enough work being done to lay the foundations for the maturation of the next step, um, you can get the low hanging fruit and then still be stuck on the ground. So another thing to do when we're doing a roadmap is look at the, the risks associated with any of the given strategies. Bioengineering, I think, is universally agreed upon as like the most difficult and that it has like an indeterminate level of complexity. We don't yet know how difficult the problem is. And also be even conceptually like the, the imagined tools that could solve those problems. We don't know how hard those are going to be to develop. So it's, nobody is willing to create like a, an end-to-end map here. We're actually going to attempt to do that. We're going to try to force people to give numbers. But it's just it, as one of our in, uh, experts that we interviewed uh, put it, it's potentially a black hole that you can indefinitely shovel money into and, and not make much progress. Uh, I think that's a little pessimistic myself, but there's been a couple of people have said things like that. Um, with replacement, obviously there are some, it's not just simply an engineering challenge. There is science there. The ones that come up are, can we produce fully functional graphs for all brain uh, parts? Will long range neural connections form when you put these graphs in? I think that's one of the big outstanding questions. It, it seems that it does happen in rats, at least for certain types of tissue, but a human brain is much larger. And it may be that some of those long range connections only form during the development process and there's no mechanism for them to form later. Uh, but we don't actually know. That's an important question. Uh, and then nerve reconnection is obviously important. It's something that actually there is progress on though. So that one is, that's an interesting one. Cryostasis, I would say are, this might be the least fleshed out. And we're going to be getting expert feedback from many, including Tanya, who I'm sure will have lots of things to say. We want to flesh this area out quite a bit more. We've gotten just napkin math from a few people. But then when it comes to what are the risks, there's the question of scaling. There's obviously proposed solutions to that problem. I think persiflation, which Tanya works on, uh, potentially doesn't have as much of a scaling problem. Large search space. Um, my intuition for a long time has been that bioengineering of a certain capability level is actually important to enable cryostasis because you could actually modify the biology to be more receptive to the process. Uh, and of course, there's social stigma. Uh, it's like very difficult to get funding for this area. And then pharmacology, what are the risks of pharmacology or the assumptions? Um, the idea with pharmacology is that you're effectively modulating endogenous biological processes. You're putting in a drug and it's stimulating or interfering with something there. But if we don't actually have mechanisms to get past some maximum age, if they just, just simply don't exist in us, then you can't really turn them on or off and expect to get very far. So I think that's an underlying assumption. And people that are into reprogramming might say that actually there is machinery to reverse aging that actually does exist in there. I take some issues with that. I don't think it's necessarily logically true. Hmm? Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily true that because reprogramming works between generations that it would work in a somatic body. And then there's also an assumption that low-hanging fruit exists at all because pharmacology was developed to respond to 20th century health problems. And it's not necessarily the case that it applies well to aging. Like people say aging is a disease, 
like that's a statement you can make, but I do, I think they are categorically different. And then of course, if you're going to have a roadmap, you have to have a me- you have to be able to measure progress. And so what is your, what is that? And I'm not going to get too much into that because other people have talked about biomarkers, but the, I, the general idea is you would want to be able to show that mortality probability just stays flat and you need to be able to prove that. All right. Replacement. There is actually a proposed plan here and it needs more attention. I'm sure most of you guys are at least somewhat aware of this. And I would really say that um, you should spread the word. It's possible that we could do full body transplantation. Uh, People have proposed timelines and budgets for doing the science and the engineering and the work that are not very extensive. There's a lot of quick tests that you could do with organ transplantation. Somebody close to me put in an impetus grant that was turned down. I was pretty disappointed on that. We need, we need to fund replacement and it's, and then even progressive brain replacement. The problem here is again, if you're doing a roadmap, I think of it like a battle plan too. And right now there's one pioneer who's a single point of failure. And I really hope that he doesn't get hit by a bus or something. Part of our roadmap is uh, institutional innovation. And I think actually having people, if there are single points of failure, you might want to actually have people shadowing and learning those skills so that you don't, you're not in that situation. So going to just into a little bit more depth on a couple of the pathways separately, bioengineering. Uh, like I said, the idea that you can use engineering to repair and obviate aging, it relies on you being able to model aging. Genetic code is code, as many people have said, and there doesn't seem to be any physics limitation. Free energy coming in, you can keep entropy at bay with the right design. Uh, So the question is building the sufficient tools to engineer the design so that it it can maintain that. And there's also reason for hope in in the numerous natural examples of extreme longevity. But how hard is it really? Uh, Another fun quote was, Maybe you could model aging with a Jupiter's mass worth of computronium. I don't know if it's that hard, but we actually just don't act no. Um, and so you do have to make a bit of a leap of faith uh, if you're going to go down this path, that it is going to be solvable by the level of intelligence that we put towards it in our lifetime. The plan here, we don't have numbers yet. That's something they're working on, which is like a much larger scope than the, the other areas. But basically, you can see that there's a bunch of different types of tools that need to advance in tandem with each other. As you characterize aging better, you reveal more targets. And as you develop tools, you can actually do something about more of those targets. And so these all go hand in hand. And how far down each of them you have to go to get what amount of lifespan progress is pretty unknown at this point. We don't really have any way of making those estimates, but we're going to try and we're going to talk to everybody to see uh, what ideas there are out there. Pharmacology, a little bit more. The plan. The plan seems to be one that is already happening in our view. We So we haven't put a lot of effort onto this part of the roadmap yet because other areas seem to be getting so much less attention relative to pharmacology versus their potential upside that right now it's not a priority for us, but it is something where a lot of people are, a lot of really smart people are working on it because they think that you could push that mortality curve by 10 to 20 years. 
And so actually we're pretty open to projects that could shorten the time scale and short, reduce the amount of money, uh, maybe wrap better iteration or better intervention testing programs in humans, um, things that can actually allow us to, if there is such a cocktail of drugs, let's find it as soon as possible. So I think accelerators for pharmacology is an area that, that we're interested in. Cryostasis, this is a planning project. There have been a couple we are collecting the different roadmap that people have made for different parts of it. There's one that's not on here, which the ultrasound rewarming, actually, I think. We got a napkin mat that said it's somewhere between 20 and $2 billion. That was, but we'll be collecting more of those and evaluating them side by side. Acceleration, the plan there. Here, we're just riding a wave of tool development that is being driven by strong market forces outside of biotech. And so I think what you want to do here is like actually plan for that, right? If you're doing biology in a way that is not planning for that intelligence explosion, you might be doing something that is just becomes irrelevant. So it's uh, the analogy I make is, do you want to like try to go to Alpha Centauri with the best spaceship you can cobble together right now? Or do you want to wait 10 years for the spaceship that can go at like 1% or 10% of the speed of light? Um, there's a proposal for something called the Systems Aging Institute. I think this is a proposal that deserves a lot of attention. And it's an institute that would, that its mission would be to prepare for that future, to generate, collect the data, build the tools to collect the data that would actually be able to feed the exponentially scaling intelligence that is coming our way. Lab automation, I think, is another area. And there's a lot of scattered effort there, I was part of an effort at Syntego that was very much in line with this idea. But I think that's an area that we're going to be looking at more. And that inst institutional innovation, I already mentioned by human intervention testing and human health optimization. Interestingly, I thought people would be pretty dismissive of, of this. It's an area that the, the highest potential upside is maybe shifting the mortality curve by five to 10 years if you're not, unless you have some major health issues, but for a sort of a normal human being, how much can you actually shift that mortality curve through health optimization by applying best practices? Estimates, five to 10 years. It's a very busy industry right now. Um, but I think there's been a failure. There is some kind of a business market failure there where it's not really uh, being put into practice as well, very well. And so I think we'd be also interested in somebody that could solve that problem, make it accessible, easy to use, um, compelling. All right, almost done. Interesting takeaways. People have misconceptions about the approaches they're not working on. So pretty much everybody we talked to is working on one of these strategies or one component of the strategy. And they generally can't accurately articulate the the state of or the risks and unknowns of the other strategies. They've often anchored their views on those strategies in the past. Uh, when they chose their particular strategy, they chose not to pursue the other strategies. And sometimes their views are, they, they haven't actually been able to keep up with those other strategies. And so they might not necessarily have a good sense of what's going on. Um, another interesting takeaway is that every approach has its own potentially fatal technical risks. Um, I already mentioned some of those. So I won't go over that again. AI is the wild card and tool development is underappreciated.
conclusions so far in this very early draft is that replacement and cryo are cheap enough that there really is no excuse for not having them fully funded, uh, especially considering they're a rounding error on other large efforts that don't have the same potential upside. There really is no excuse to not have those fully funded. Uh, some critical path projects have single points of failure, one person or one organization, um, and that biology needs to plan for scalable artificial intelligence. You might be wasting your time if you're not using that. I don't think that's always the case, though, because as Elon would also put it, like you, you don't want to scale a process that you, if, if it's the wrong process. So it's a war against aging. Is it every platoon for itself? I actually find that in the longevity community, people are pretty collaborative, but I would like to see like when you go to ARDD or you go to LSD or you go to any of these big conferences, what is the updated version of the plan? That should be part of the discussion. Um, and the Foresight Institute actually, and the meetings that it holds have been actually um, doing that to a large degree. And I don't want to step on toes here. That's actually the role that they've been playing and we're building on their work. Uh, and just with our own particular flavor, take on it because our we're working at that interface of bringing new people in and we're trying to meet, uh, we're trying to give them what they need. So that's a big part of the motivation for this. The vision. So this is the same slide as before, but with one extra thing. We want to launch multiple SpaceX level efforts in longevity. I think that is the thing that if that was happening, we could not rest easy, but we could feel better about our probability of success here. We would feel like we were at least doing what we could. And I don't really feel like that's the case right now. And so I want to be in the future where I at least feel like we're doing the best, we're, we're giving it the best possible shot. Um, yeah, I don't know if this is even worth going into. Let's see. I'll just finish on this call to action. So help us build multiple SpaceXs for longevity. We are going to be trying to spark the creation of these entities, whether it's by supporting existing projects or creating new ones where one doesn't exist. Do you see a flaw in our roadmap? Schedule a time to talk with me and Nathan. Do you know a mission-aligned LP? Introduce us. We're raising a fund. Starting Space Effects for Longevity yourself? Show us your plan. If we like your plan, then let's work together. And if you've run a fund accelerator or company builder, come talk to us because we want your advice. We have some level of experience with that, but we want to be following the best practices and not repeating anybody else's mistakes. That's it. That's what I got. Amazing. Thank you so much. Um, wow, that was quite a lot. Really exciting stuff. If you have anything to share that you can already share in terms of like write-ups or something about this, please drop it in the chat. And I'm sure that we have lots of questions, comments. So if any one of you wants to ask a question, wants to make a comment, feel free to put it in the chat um, or feel free to just raise your hand uh, right now that we can get to it one by one and we still have more people joining and i will okay. say that this, this is a very early draft so we're coming to you guys knowing that because you're an audience that i think it's good to get your input in the early stage yeah that sounds great let's see if we have any questions comments raise your hands guys is 
you have one already because I think a few of the ones that we all have in the chat, I'm not quite sure if it's meant for, if it's meant for the video, yes or no. Uh, so if you want to make a direct comment or direct question, then I think, yeah. Yeah, I see Jim, uh, I'll just respond to Jim's about the, the human health optimization and the problem is the lack of a good business model. I have first-hand experience with that. I tried to work on a project in the space and we... Well, me and my co-founder could not agree on a business model, but also it was really hard to see what it would be. I, I think that there are, the only ones I've been able to come up with that are viable require a pretty heavy upfront capital expenditure that would be hard to get. John Ferber. Cool. I have another one. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I have one. Mark, you mentioned that there's a lot of social stigma surrounding the field that limits funding opportunities. Do you have any ideas for how we can prevent or reverse for the stigma of where one person will overpromise and then limit the opportunity for others. Yeah, in particular in, there's two different issues there. There's the, the overpromising issue, which I think is maybe, uh, I'm not going to name names, but there's definitely some prominent people that do that. But then there's just the stigma around a particular approach is just too weird or too weird for the general population. I think for the case of replacement, I imagine we should be able to get these fully funded without having to go to a very huge group of people or con convince the mainstream to be on our side um, because the, it doesn't require the, the scale of funding required seems like that might not be necessary. Um, and I don't know if there's an advantage to going to the mainstream until you have some level of success. Like my experience is that it, when an idea, people, it's very easy to be negative about an abstract idea or some like future possibility. But then when a baby's life has been saved or your grandma's Alzheimer's cured, it's a lot harder to be negative about it. And so the best strategy I know of for engaging with the public is to focus on the tangible wins and let, and, and really highlight, but also the LBS. That's not our target audience, so I might not be the expert on that area. Okay, cool. I'm super excited also to hear a little bit more about like plans for updating the roadmap and any launch strategies and so forth, because we've been updating our tech trees or Aaron has been doing so. There's now like an AI enabled tool for basically doing a lot of that like automatically or like sort of in a scale automatically. So we will probably also be coming out with a tech tree 2.0 eventually. And I think it would be really fun to cross-check use for overlap uh, if there's any. I'm sure that there's a little bit of a different next focus area, but yeah, really excited to hear the, about the roadmap for the road. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. There's definitely overlap. I think they had, they're trying to do slightly different things, but like the, the degree that they overlapped, they might as well be synchronized. Yeah. And obviously, I, okay, I talk to Aaron regularly. Cool. I think he's also on here right now. Uh, then we have mm -hmm. William James. Do you want to ask? I'll give you some more time to unmute William James. Okay, I'll ask. What advice would you have for an ambitious bioengineer Especially finished undergrad with a low resolution plan for cellular reprogramming tools, but no resource. If you're interested in cellular reprogramming, there's a lot of really well-funded, well, like quickly, effectively executing companies that already exist. So I would recommend, I don't know, sometimes there's a bias towards everybody has to start their own thing, but I would just join one of, I would try to join one of those. And if you don't feel like you're ready, ready yet, I would... You could apply to the LBF and maybe we can help out and help you figure out how to make that happen. 
Cool. We have other questions. We have Ben Ferber, then Robert Cargill, then Jason McCreary. Hi, Mark. Uh, how's my sound? Good. Okay. One of your first slides was the comparative costs of bioengineering versus whole body replacement um, versus yeah. cryostasis. And it seemed like uh, you had arbitrarily um, decided that bioengineering is way more expensive than anything else. And I'm just wondering, it doesn't seem that way to me. And did you just imagine what these costs are? Because it seems like we've already got CRISPR, you've got various genetic engineering techniques underway, and body replacement, I think, is particularly reattaching a spinal cord for a transplanted head just seems much harder than genetic engineering. But there's actually been a brain-computer interface-mediated person who is walking that previously couldn't walk. That's already been done at least once. And there are like, I think at least four different projects on nerve reconnection, one of which has shown success in animals. I think that there is promising results there. When as for the bioengineering side of it, we're looking at the delta between the level of technology that would be need to be a full solution to aging and what we currently have. And this is based on the, the estimates are based on actually talking with experts in the field of bioengineering who are trying to develop those technologies and are fully aware of how difficult it is and are working on it anyways uh, because they think it's possible. Um, but then it, it still is a lot of the ideas for how could you update the genetic information of every cell in your body repeatedly with arbitrary sized payloads. That's the level of technology that you need for a problem as complex as aging if your goal is to like like a full solution to aging. There's a lot of intermediate steps along the way. As you point out, we have CRISPR, we have different things. And so it's, there's tons of intermediate steps along the bioengineering pathway. And that's part of what people call escape velocity. So it's not, but to actually complete the project is the question. And that's really hard to estimate. Not going to lie. These are very rough numbers. And these are actually on the optimistic, these are on the optimistic side based on what we have talked to people about. Thanks. Awesome. I'll also say that both, sorry, both replacement and cryostasis potentially benefit quite a bit from intermediate levels of technology and bioengineering. So they, there's definitely synergies too. Cool. Next up, we have Robert Gold. Robert? Oh. There we go. Hey, how, how is my sound? Good. Good? Okay. So actually, if I can add on a little bit regarding the last question, I think one of the one of the reasons why when Mark and I were discussing this previously, we I, I was one of the people who also added that bioengineering approaches would be much more expensive is that bioengineering tends to come at all of the hallmarks individually. And each of the hallmarks is a mini tentacle beast. So you have to have an individual development effort for potentially for a dozen different crosslinks, a dozen different ways in which there's damage to the extracellular matrix. Besides that, the accumulation of lipofuscin in different cells. The bioengineering approach requires that you tackle all of these different hallmarks. And you could end up with dozens and dozens or even hundreds of different 
individual development efforts to try to get there. Whereas if you're able to do something like grow an entire new body, that's, it's fairly simple. It's a single project. And then there's one very tricky problem with the reconnection, but they could conceivably be much, much lower risk and much cheaper to go that route. The other thing that I actually had raised my hand about was um, I wasn't sure if Mark was referring to the project that Brad English and I submitted as an impetus proposal. But there's uh, among the replacement community, there's this assumption that as we if we are able to replace pieces of our bodies, replace an old, replace old kidneys with young kidneys, replace an old heart or old liver with a new liver, that it's going to lead to some level of lifespan extension. And we submit, we have a proposal that we assembled to test out that specific question, testing the hypothesis that replacement of many visceral organs at the same time would lead to a reduction in the aging rate for other tissues that had not been replaced. Yeah, it's a hypothesis that can be tested for a relatively small amounts of money compared to drug development, which so it seems crazy to not for it not to be tested. Yes, we have we can get cloned rats, cloned pigs. This is something in in my opinion we ought to be testing immediately. We don't know which organs, which tissues are important to aging and which are not. How much of an impact do the kidneys make on aging versus the liver or the bone marrow, for instance. These are things that we can take an empirical approach. And that's, that's one of the key aspects of an engineering solution to a problem is an empirical approach. Let's try these things out if we can and see where the sensitivities are. And that'll be part of the roadmap as we're fleshing it out is what are all of those tests. And they exist in bioengineering too. It's just that the list is a lot longer. All right. I see you here. No objections here. And next one up, we have Jason. Thanks. Yeah, this is a great job uh, you guys put together here. I don't I like the breakdown of... Uh, the comparison of, of each approach, I think it's a smart way to do it to try to get a bird's eye view on the problem. I think what we really are going to need is is all these to some degree. Um, so I do think it's smart kind of comparing and contrasting cost and effort like you're doing here, Mark. And a quick tangent too, I did drop in the chat on the X prize for age reversal. Maybe some of these topics people want to compete with. Definitely looking for team members. That's going to be November 29th at 7.30. The prize purse is 101 million, so it's all value reversal, and it should be should be big. So hope, hopefully, uh, a lot of people here want to compete. And circling back on the, these approaches versus I think similar similar to how Robert was alluding, I think we need this map, and I think we do have to have a, a multi step uh, rejuvenation method. And really, I I see the need of uh, functional determining how things function in terms of organ by organ. So we can essentially quantify the biological age and really how good does an organ function across all 78 plus organs. And with that, we can then attempt to prove age reversal from a clinical standpoint for each organ one by one. 
And I think we we do that for several reasons. We I think that's the right approach because right now we don't really know, okay, if we try to re- rejuvenate a kidney, how far back has that kidney gone? If someone comes in and they're 70 and we measure their kidney and say there's it's a 72-year-old kidney, then we do a bunch of therapies, say bioengineering, pharmaceuticals, and, and so on. We should be able to say, okay, your kidney was 72 and and now it's 30, if, if that was a success, or 71, or even having some air bounds around that would be really good to know like how far yeah. has that kidney go? You have a comment, Mark? Yeah. So just saying, yeah, like the, that, that being able to measure is like one of the sort of the, what I would put under care, both characterizing and understanding, which are like, I think the, the three, there's three sort of planks to bioengineering the way we've it, which was characterizers, just actually literally measure everything that changes, understand. It's like, then you interpret what do those changes mean? And that's what you're talking about. And then tools to actually do something about it. Um, but yeah, they, we don't, yeah, that's absolutely essential. Yeah. I think there's a lot of overlap. Um, one thing maybe even to add on, uh, is the bioelectric or programming, uh, approach that Dr. Michael Levin works on. I don't know if you have anything here specific. Yeah. We're so not yet at that level of detail. We're trying to stay a little bit higher level right now, but we will, the idea is to eventually flush it out to that. That, like, that's a particular layer of abstraction that you can model in biology. And so there's multiple layers of abstraction you can model in biology and a, and a systems aging model would include all of those layers of abstraction. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a good point. I think it's definitely something to consider because I, I feel that the bioelectric approach, I think that would be at the top level because the biochemistry approaches, you're really trying to micromanage a lot of complexity like you alluded to that that we may or may not be able to do in the short term at least. But with the bioelectric approach, there may be a way to achieve it faster. Yeah, computational models of that don't seem to be beyond like hardware capabilities currently. I have a question in the chat actually that was a direct message that I thought was good to bring up, which is the Marielle Van Kuhn mentioned that for cryo, an additional risk is the need to build guaranteed continuity. And so I, that definitely needs to be the case to, to not to succeed on that path. But as I mentioned at the beginning, we were trying to make, we were trying to remove everything that we could from this plan. So we're not trying to be an exhaustive list of everything that will need to be done or everything that's ever been proposed. We want to focus on the critical path, and that would be to demonstrate that reversible cryostasis is actually possible. Because I think once you've demonstrated that reversible cryostasis is possible, that would actually the other problems like we can then we can focus on those. But if we don't actually have that, then uh, it's like the wrong, it's not the right priority given limited attention and resources. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. This is great work. I'm really happy to see this come together. Thank you so much, Mark. Cool. Thank you. We'll be getting your expert feedback on it at some point. We've got a long list of people to work to. You're on it. Awesome. Sounds good. Looking forward. We have Roland Grassland's question. What should we do in 2024 to launch the first SpaceX? Mm-hmm. Actually, does anyone else in the audience have an idea for that? Before I get mine. <laughs> Convince you lot. I definitely, no, I, I, hey, yeah. Yeah, I think he's pretty busy. He's got some stuff that he's pretty busy with. It would be, I imagine what would change his mind is I actually, I actually know somebody who was 
in the room with him when I think he maybe was coming to his conclusion that it basically was a bit too hard of a problem. And I think that's why he chose not to invest any of his attention on it. Uh, but I would imagine that what might change his mind is actually breakthroughs in AI. And I think actually he's actually directly working on that. He's already doing... So like for a lot of people, like they would care about a particular strategy if a certain thing could be demonstrated. And that's one of the things that we ask our experts. And I'm pretty sure that for Elon, what needs to be demonstrated is that an AI can make progress on biology research. And I think once that has, is happening in a big way, then I imagine that, that he would probably change his mind about whether it's possible. But I think what we want to do is cultivate more Elons, basically. And we, we don't want just one Elon. We want more Elons. Great. And really long, more and longer live uh, on the long run too. Okay. I have a few more questions unless people want to interrupt me by just literally raising their hand. Are you free to do so? The roadmap is like one big bit that you have shouldered now, right? Are there any other updates you want to give people what the LBM is up to next year? Yeah. So our the, we're revamping the whole program for next year. And like the first year of the LBF was the project of combining Nathan's ODLB with my longevity summer camp. And then having that continuity, getting it up and running just operationally. The next stage for us next year is to become very focused on this roadmap and the, what we want to do is make sure that like for people coming into the field, that they're finding a way to contribute to the roadmap. So like the roadmap is the centerpiece of how we just, how we both select people because we want people to join the LBS that have the or the abilities or relevant skills for progress on the roadmap. And then we want to help them get to work on it, whether that's joining a company, starting a company, potentially building companies ourselves is going to be part of that plan and hopefully building some of those SpaceX's. You already mentioned a few ways of how people can generally get involved with the longevity efforts, right? For different roles that they have. Is there a specific kind of like request for the longevity biotech fellowship in particular? Of types of people, you mean? Yeah. What kinds of people are you looking for the fellowship? I think for me, I'm really, I'm, I, I definitely feel like we should be focused on using cutting edge tools. So I am traditional wet lab. I think there's still a role for that because like you can't automate certain fringe areas of work, but people that are inclined towards using the most modern cutting edge tools or building those tools, I think is an area that we really want to focus on. But we still, I think the, the main criteria for the LBS is that you're talented at whatever it is that you do, because there are so many different ways to contribute. And that you share our sort of passion and mission alignment. Uh, those are our main criteria. We like to have a pretty diverse set of people in the LBF that actually makes it, I think, a lot more productive and fun. Awesome. Uh, we have another participant question. Let's see how many we can squeeze in. Pirate Church. Hey, Mark. Thank, thanks for speaking today. Nice to see you again. You mentioned cutting edge technologies, changes in, I would say, the camp and the road. So I would say, what are like top three critical aspects you see that are being significantly changed? And where do you see, I would say, let's just take all of us and put into spaceship and one year from now, what do you see different in the roadmap and as well as the progress in the technology? Yeah, so we're actually 
part of the roadmap is going to be collecting lists of what would make you change your mind. So we talk to people that are working on one or another strategy, and we'll ask them like, what would make you give up on your strategy and switch to a different one? And so when we compile a list of those questions, that will integrate that into the roadmap because those are things that, that those are probably results that we want to get sooner rather than later. And for example, we talked to somebody who's working on the bioengineering approach. And he said that, and we asked him what would make him stock bioengineering and working on cryo or uh, replacement instead. And he said, is if we discovered that nuclear, the accumulation of random nuclear mutations, not cancer, but just in general, is rate limiting in sort of the course of not much longer than we normally live now. Because that's just uh, trying to imagine a solution to that. Like you just couldn't do it. So we want to find those, okay. those uh, types of uh, decision points. Cool. We're in the final minute. Any uh, action requests that you have um, for people here on this call? I've talented people that uh, don't are already work on longevity. Tell them to join the LBF. If you're a talented person who works on longevity, we love to have you come to our retreats as camp counselors. It's a real fun time. And also if LPs or know about company building and funds, we're looking for both investment and advice on that front. Amazing. Thank you so much. I'm going to stop your screen just in the spirit of sharing. If everyone, uh, anyone here is interested in, I guess, joining uh, Mark and a few others, uh, including most of us in person, we have brought, uh, our Vision Weekends coming up. So we just had our France Vision Weekend uh, last weekend. So I just came back from that. And in well, a little bit over a week from now, we're going to have our US Vision Weekend uh, with lots of longevity panels, longevity lab tours, but also longevity participant and conferences there. And I think you'll be discussing again a similar quest to what you just discussed in the seminar, but this time in person. So if you guys are interested in joining us there, I think we'll probably close tickets today or early tomorrow because we're almost sold out. But I just want to make sure that uh, people in this group, in case you do want to join, that is probably the last chance to join. But I think tickets will probably go offline later today. All right. Thank you, everyone, so much for coming. Really, really excited uh, for your efforts. Congrats on the incredible amount of work and for breaking such an yeah, insufferably big field down to things that are like roughly understandable. Nice. <laughs> I think that's cool. It's really hard. I think it's one of the hardest things, but if I had more time, I would have written you a longer letter. We all know that saying. And so thanks for your wonderful efforts on that front. It's really appreciated. It's a ton of work. It's uh, really creating a public good for the, for the whole ecosystem. So thanks for that, Mark. And thanks everyone for joining, asking such great questions. And I can't wait to see many of you in person in a bit over a week from now.